Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And just a reminder, our home base is wedontdie.com, where you can always find our free Sunday gathering with a medium demonstration included. It's so inspiring. Of course, we offer classes and other good things. And at the bottom of the page, if you enter your name and your email address, you can have a free copy of my book, We Don't Die. It says you just get the first few chapters. The secret is it is the entire book. Chapter 10 is on grief. And I think it's one of the most important things anybody can learn about because whether you're dealing with grief right now, or you will in the future, it's best to know how to navigate it and feel the best you can through the process. Our guest today is Brandon Densmore, who is the CEO of Gathered Minds Media LLC, where he works as a certified spiritual coach, business consultant, and digital product creator. But he wasn't always this. And today on our show, he'll share what happened about 10 years ago to turn him into a man who's passionate and gives his life to helping people transform their lives for the better. You can find out more about him on Facebook. Just type in facebook.com forward slash coach Brandon or his YouTube channel at Brandon Densmore. Brandon, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you so much, Sandra, for having me. I'm happy to be here and excited to share my story today. Yeah, it's exciting. I love meeting new people and you reached out to me and I'm just delighted. You've got a heart of gold and you're out to really impact the lives of millions, but it wasn't always this. So if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about you, where you're talking to us from, and maybe just some of your past, build the story so we can get to know you. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. I live in Union, Maine, and have been here for a few years, bought a house here, um, married to a beautiful woman named Mary Marcel, and we have a one-year-old baby. Congratulations on all that. Yeah. I'm a certified spiritual coach and I work here from my home helping people. I love what I do. And it, like you said, it wasn't always the case. So uh, let's go into what happened. Basically, back in 2014, I passed away from a heroin overdose. <clears throat> when I was eight years old, I was sexually molested. And I guess I should have said trigger warning. But yeah, I was sexually molested at eight years old. And that really made me question myself and the world. Up until that point, I'd lived in a safe world. But at eight years old, I realized that not everybody has your best intentions at heart. And that's a lot to process uh, for an eight-year-old kid. So I went to school. I hated school. I was made fun of. And it might've been because I was different. I didn't celebrate any holidays or participate in any extracurricular activities because I was raised as a Jehovah's witness. They have certain spiritual beliefs that are like pretty way outside the, the mainstream. But anyways, the religion taught me a lot of good morals and I have a lot of respect for Jehovah's witnesses, but it did make me stand out as different. And maybe that made me an easy target for bullies. So I went to school, hated it, diagnosed with Crohn's disease and sacroiliac spondylitis when I was 13 or 14. 
and was put on opiate painkillers. Over time, like I would take these things and it would treat my pain. The Crohn's disease, I don't know how many people know, but it's arthritis of the intestine. So it's pretty painful. So it would treat my pain, but it would also treat my emotional pain. And maybe that's why it was so addictive. I think that's why it was. It made me feel comfortable in my own skin, more self-confident. And I wasn't feeling those painful emotions of the effects of the sexual abuse and being made fun of. I was able to help me deal with those emotions. So I was diagnosed with those diseases, got hooked on painkillers, and lived that way for most of my life. I dropped out of school in ninth grade and was headed down a really dark road. Then I was in a fight when I was 21. And I guess you could say that was my first near-death experience. I was beat to within an inch of my life. This guy, he was a third-degree black belt. We had been drinking and ended up getting in a fight with this guy. And he was wearing steel-toed boots. And he kicked me three times in the head. And I went to the doctor the next day. And he said, if that guy had put three more pounds of pressure behind that last kick, his boot would have gone directly into your brain and you would be dead. So at age 21, I was questioning the possibility of my own non-existence, I guess you could say. Um, and at that time, like I just experienced a complete blackout, the absence of everything, nothingness. And yet there was still a consciousness there to observe the nothingness. I didn't have a trip to heaven or hell or all of these like amazing experiences that people have at that time. I just experienced total blackout. Afterwards, that made me question my identity. Up to that point, I believed that I was stupid. I was going nowhere in life and uh, basically wasn't going to amount to anything. And then I was in that fight. I started like reading and listening to audiobooks about self-development and spirituality and things like that. Long story short, I went back to school, got my GED, and then went to a community college, graduated from there, and ended up going into a summer program called Exploring Transfer, where I won a full scholarship to go to Vassar College. I graduated from there with a philosophy degree. But what people didn't know was that while I was in this school, this prestigious school, and throughout this whole educational journey, I was addicted to painkillers this whole time. Graduate from Vassar with a degree in philosophy. Then I'm back, I'm living in a little apartment in Winthrop, Maine. And outside of my apartment, I'm at my mom's place. I'd been in withdrawals for days without the medication. It's been three days since I've had any opiates. And really, like only people that have been dependent on opiates can really understand what it feels like to be going through withdrawals. I would go through this cycle of running out of my medication early because I would take just a little bit more than I was supposed to. And then my prescription would run out early and I'd be in withdrawals. And that's one way. At school, I was introduced to the heroin. I was at a party and withdrawals and somebody brought it out. 
So I'm waiting for this guy to show up because I can't get my prescription for another few days and I can't function. My mind is totally full of anxiety. I'm thinking about every problem in my life and every problem is just screaming at the top of my lungs in my mind, uncontrollable. One problem after another in my mind, after another, I'm not happy with my life. I'm not happy with who I am, how I feel, what's happened in the past, and it's all there and it's all raw. And I'm looking at the clock. Is this guy ever going to show up? The minute just clicking on the clock, click, click, click every second feels like an eternity waiting for this guy to show up. Finally, he gets there and like I'm crawling out of my skin and he brings the stuff, he leaves. So I do some of it. And finally, the nightmare is over. Finally, I can just breathe, relax, collect my thoughts and function normally. All of those thoughts just evaporated and felt really good. And after a couple minutes, that pleasure and relief ended. And I realized that I was passing away. And uh, my breathing was slow and things are getting darker and darker. And then bam, I'm outside of my body. I was shown two things in this near-death experience, but you could say that I saw the future, was shown the future. I saw all of the people that were affected by my death, and it was like the holodeck from Star Trek. And that's got like a computer simulation where it's this super advanced hologram where you can tell the computer, hey, I want to stand on the moon. And all of a sudden, all of your surroundings change and there you are on the moon. Or you can be shown any person that you want, any situation that you want, any place that you want in this Star Trek holodeck. I was shown image after image, three-dimensional, like I'm there. I was shown all the people that were affected by my death. And I was shown a future reality where I didn't exist. It was like... This is what your life could have been if you hadn't died. And I was shown image after image. The one that really stands out is my mother. I was shown how my mother found my dead body on her couch. And I could feel her feelings, the grief, that it was just soul-crushing grief. I remember I was shown that she came into her apartment and there I was on her couch, a corpse, discolored, pus running out of my mouth. And she started screaming, my baby. Oh no, my God. Oh my God. No, my baby, my little baby boy, my baby boy. No, my God, my baby. And the pain was just overwhelming. Then I was shown my funeral, all the friends and the family that were affected and all of the grief. And then the future reality that I would never experience, the woman I would never marry, the children I would never have, the joyful experiences that would never exist, all of the people that I could have helped, all of the potential that was wasted. And then boom, I'm back in my body and uh, gasping for breath. 
But before I was back in my body gasping for breath, I came back into the room after being shown all these images. And I heard a voice say, now your life is over and you wasted it. And then I begged not to die, that I would do whatever was necessary to make it so that this reality doesn't happen so that I don't die. I need another chance. Please don't let me die. And then bam, I'm back in my body gasping for breath. So that's what happened. <laughs> wow. Thank you, first of all, for sharing that with us. It's not easy to share some parts of our past, but every single human being deals with something and they might show just the smiley faces on social media and all that, but we're all dealing with something. When you had that out of body experience and you were shown all that, first of all, how incredible to actually feel your mother's pain and feel it from her perspective. What a wake up call that is to see the impact that you have mm -hmm. on others that your life does. But the memory of it and how clear you saw it, was it just as clear as we're living life now? How easy is it for you to recall? Does it stay fresh as a memory? Because it's almost 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Tell us yeah, about that. When it happened, it was as if it was real, like flesh and blood. But I was like a spectator on the side, watching everything, being taken from image to image from scene to scene and just being shown. And it was just as clear as day, like it was real. But I still remember the image of my mother finding my body, crystal clarity. But as time has gone on, it has become less vivid, like any memory does. But at the time, it was very real. Yeah, I asked that because it's just common with near-death experiences to have it so real, more so real than any memory or any dream we have. So it just wanted to point out that it carries that same characteristic. So what happened then? Because clearly you're still going to have that addiction. And how did you become who you are today? Because any kind of addiction, whatever it is, I know there's dopamine receptors in our system that are craving for whatever it is. And it's mm -hmm. not so easy as just saying, oh, I'm not going to do it today when everything in your system is crying out for that. Yeah. So what was it like coming back? I think that might be why I was shown the things that I was shown was to give me the strength to be able to push through the darkness and to move past into the light because it was very difficult but I didn't want that. I couldn't let myself die. I couldn't let my mother find my body. I couldn't let all of those people be affected. And I couldn't waste my life. Before I returned back into my body, I told the presence that was there that I was willing to do anything to have another chance. And immediately when I was back in my body gasping for breath, I went into a seven-day detox. And basically, like you said, with the dopamine receptors, my brain wasn't working. I basically had to learn how to tie my shoelaces again. That's how bad it was. I couldn't even tie my shoelaces because I had been on opiates for over a decade. So anyways, went to detox, 
seven-day detox, then went to intensive outpatient services somewhere you go every day to talk about the disease of addiction and different strategies for not returning to the old behavior. And then I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous and went through the 12 steps of AA, even though I wasn't an alcoholic, but I still worked those steps to the very best of my ability. Like I went all in because I was desperate. I needed to find another way to live. Did that and had to confront all of these inner demons, resentments, fears that I had, et cetera, et cetera. I had to deal with that molestation that happened when I was eight years old and other things, bullying and on. So I went through a spiritual refinement process. Long story short, I went from having false friends, living in a crappy little apartment, no money in the bank, just low self-esteem, self-confidence issues to someone who owns their own business, who purchased a house, married the love of their life, has a baby, surrounded by real friends, just on and on. I have a garden. My life is happy. And it took a while. I had to go through that spiritual refinement process. But now I'm in a position where I'm here and I'm able to really serve people. And it's an honor and a privilege to have had this experience. And I've been able to take that addiction and turn it into my most powerful asset. So for the listeners out there, if you have addictions or uh, things that you've gone through that you're struggling with, these things can become defining moments in our lives. And we can use them as a kind of rocket fuel, really, to become the best versions of ourselves. I'm living in a whole new reality. You are. And it's good to hear the story because everybody struggles, but we don't want everybody to have a near-death experience. We don't want everyone to go through what you did. We want people to see that this is where you are now and what's possible. So how did you decide to make your life about being of service and tell us a little bit about how you started and created your business. Cause that's what you do. You help people transform their lives. Yeah. So the 12th step in Alcoholics Anonymous is about being of service and carrying the message to other alcoholics. The whole step system is designed to give people a spiritual awakening and that's what happened to me. I had a white light type experience where I had a visitation from, I don't know if it was an angel or my higher self, whatever this thing was, it didn't tell me what or who it was. Jesus, I, I don't know. I was in my bathroom taking a shower one day. I'd worked the steps. I was having a hard time. I prayed and prayed because I was going through a rough time. And this being came through, down through my ceiling and it was invisible, but you could feel its presence. And it was like a light coming down through the ceiling while I'm taking a shower. And I could feel its power. I started having these thoughts like, I'm not worthy. Like, I've done X, Y, and Z. I have X, Y, and Z flaws. Like, I'm not worthy to be visited by this powerful, angelic 
being. It was like it telepathically sensed my thoughts and it could care less about what I had done. It pierced through those thoughts into my body and it, it just radiated love and peace and acceptance, non-judgment. And it did something to my body. It was like penetrated me like an x-ray. And I believe that, that was the result of going through those steps and doing the spiritual refinement process and prayer and meditation. And then I had this experience. I started delving into being a sponsor for people in Alcoholics Anonymous. And then from there, I enrolled in a course online about creating your own business. And then I became a certified spiritual coach. And now I'm where I am now, where I'm you know, coaching people on a regular basis. And I'm creating a course online called Quantum Forgiveness, my ultimate method for creating time and energy so you can quickly accomplish your most important life goals. So um, that's where I am now. The course isn't finished, but I'm really passionate about this topic of quantum forgiveness. Why is it called quantum forgiveness, right? So if you look into the etymology of the word quantum, it's about a particle or quanta, a, a quantity, right? It is a particle of forgiveness. And in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they say that resentment is the number one offender. So resentment is basically the number one reason that alcoholics drink. Bam, mind-blowing. Resentment is the number one reason why alcoholics drink. And then in another part of the big book, it says after they've gone through the spiritual steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, that they've been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence beyond which they'd ever dreamed. This is quantum forgiveness, the particle of forgiveness. It's the essence or the spirit of forgiveness that will rocket you into a fourth dimension of existence beyond which you've ever dreamed. Well, the fourth dimension of existence is time. So I'm talking about that forgiveness, it's a process, it's a lifestyle. And if you can do it correctly, you will gain back time and energy. So you can do what really matters and what you need to accomplish in this life with more ease and flow. I'm a sci-fi guy. I like science fiction movies and stuff, but it's like a tachyon, a particle, right? A tachyon that moves forwards and backwards through time. So it's like literally you can rewrite the past, you can be in the present, and you can create the future simultaneously. And it's wild and it's not humdrum. It's not your everyday kind of conversation that you have with people, but it's like when you're in resentment, you're like a victim and you're forced to be small. You can't really be of service to the world. It's like Plato's cave. And it's a metaphor for the reality that we experience is that there are all these people and they're chained up in a cave for their entire lives and they're forced 
to watch a wall with shadows being projected on it. And they believe that's reality because they've never known anything else. And they're in shackles. But one day someone is freed from that kind of entrapment and they follow the cave to the surface and they go out into the fresh air for the first time and the sun is shining and the sky is blue and there's green grass and now they're really experiencing reality. What they thought they were living before was just a false existence. So that's what forgiveness when done right and practiced as a lifestyle does for you. It's fair to say you have forgiven yourself for all those things that happened in your past, because you can't help but think, oh, if I had done this differently, <clears throat> if I had done this differently. But I really believe, Brandon, that we human beings do the best we can at the time. Yes, forgiving myself and others. I was even able to come to a place of letting go of the sexual molestation. That was a challenge. That was something that bothered me for a long time. But in practicing it as a lifestyle, I've had to learn how to give up judgment of other people, righteous anger. Something happens, it makes you mad. And there's a good reason why it makes you mad. Righteous indignation, judgment of other people, of myself. But let me tell you that going through this process, we don't realize how our resentments affect us and that they really rob us of our time and energy. Yeah. Don't you think though, that resentment and all those just comes automatic. We all have that ego. We got that voice inside of us and we're quick to judge. I think that's part of being human. Doesn't make it right, but that we really have to build a muscle and to catch ourselves. I think automatically as human beings, it happens that somebody does something, you can make them wrong or, resent them. Mm -hmm. It's, I think, a defense mechanism. It's probably hardwired into our genetics, but we're evolving. And I think that the great spiritual masters have been pointing toward this for millennia. First of all, our, the ego serves a purpose. It's a defense mechanism. It keeps us safe, but it doesn't need to be in charge. It can be like a tyrant and you identify with it completely. You think that it's you, but it's not really you. There's a higher you that is connected to the spirit of the universe. And you can learn how to embrace that and utilize that in your daily life and put that spirit yeah. in charge. I was just thinking there's a lot of people, including myself, that through the death of a loved one, there's fighting, there's miscommunications, and sometimes relationships have not healed, and there's resentment that people hang mm -hmm. on to. What would be your advice? Would it be from seeing the situation from another person's perspective, sending them love, obviously giving up that resentment, mm -hmm. but what would be just a tool that you might give people? Because I know we've got plenty of that in our family of viewers and listeners. Yeah. I would say, first of all, Resentment's not wrong. Your feelings aren't wrong. You have them for a reason. But if it's affecting you and it's draining you and you're thinking about it and it's 
diminishing your quality of life, it might be something that you want to consider letting it go or dealing with it. You identify you need to move out of the victim mentality that this person did X, Y, and Z to me and stop judging them. Part of it is understanding the why. Like, why did this happen? That's a big question that I hear a lot when dealing with resentments. And that can be a way that will help shift your perspective out of this victim mentality. And like I said, I'm not judging it. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you choose, you can make the choice to let it go. You can make the choice to move on from it, to come to a place where you're not thinking about it, where it's not bothering you. And again, it's a process, but also a lifestyle of giving up judgment of other people, judgment of yourself. Like we have a club that we take out and we beat ourselves with and we beat other people with the club. And that club is called judgment. We demonize what we did or what they did. And then we beat ourselves and we beat other people with this club. But you can put the club down and not spend your time and energy on that anymore. And instead, figure out why do people do what they do? And there's different perspectives on that. In Alcoholics Anonymous, people do things that are horrible because they're sick. In the case of my molestation, my sponsor brought this to my attention. I was having a conversation with him in the fifth step about resentments that I had. And the sexual molestation came up and he said, Brandon, that's terrible that happened to you. That should never have happened. There's nothing you could have done that should never happen to a child. And then he said, but in the 20 years that you've been alive, did you ever consider why he did what he did? And I said, no, in 20 years, I haven't really thought about that. I've just condemned him. And he said, well, this guy was 16 years old that sexually molested me when I was eight. And he said, well, did you consider that maybe he had been sexually molested? That maybe he had learned this behavior somehow? I said, no, I never thought of that. And then he said, well, picture him as a kid. Maybe he was sexually molested. If that was the case, could you feel any compassion for him? And it was like this aha moment where it was like, yeah, I wouldn't want that to happen to anybody. So that's part of how understanding why people do what they do. One reason is that they're sick people. So they've been through trauma themselves. They've had violence happen in their lives and they have internalized that and are now operating at that level. Can you have compassion for the sick person? Another why is a common sense why people do what they do because people do what they do out of a sense of survival because they think it's going to help them survive through certain things or because they think it's going to make them happy. So an easy way to let go of minor anger, I think, just understanding that really people are doing things the way that they do because they think it's going to help them survive in the world or it's going to make them happy or bring them pleasure in some way. And when you can look at it from that perspective, you can put some distance between you and what they're doing and take a step back. 
Another reason is innocence. Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And this was when he was being tortured and being ready to be put to death. So forgive them for they know not what they do. Do any of us really know what we're doing? We don't have all the answers. We're really at a core level innocent, like little children trying to make their way in the world. We don't know what we do. We don't know the effects of what we do that have on other people. And it's just an ignorance, the reason why people do what they do. And the people aren't in their right mind when they hurt others or do something that affects our lives. So understanding the why, that's one piece of it. I appreciate that. People have struggled with in the past is, why should I forgive them? Why should I forgive them? The thing is, holding that resentment, it's like taking rat poison and waiting for the other person to die. What it does to us. Mm -hmm. So it's not about impacting the other person. And and it may, certainly. Mm -hmm. But it's really so that we are free. We can clear the chalkboard of all that stuff that's holding us back and be free to be who we are. So thank you so much for sharing that. I also have a story that I wanted to tell you about true life after death. I think that that there is an afterlife and that the soul moves on to another existence. I had a good friend, someone that I used drugs with in the past. One night we were talking, we said to each other, okay, if you ever die, or if I ever die, let's say you die first, you send me a message and let me know if there is life after death or an afterlife. And if I die, I'll do the same for you. And then we won't be afraid of death and we will know that there is existence afterwards. So what ended up happening was she had died from an overdose. But before I knew that she had passed away, one night, I'm in my camper. I lived in a camper at the time. And one night, my friend shows up at the door, comes in, sound asleep, and just sits at my bed and then crawls into bed and cuddles with me and then just hangs out. It was like 100% real, like in the flesh. And then the next day I found out she had passed away. She was letting me know that there is indeed an afterlife and we go on. You gave me goosebumps with that story. I don't know if that helps your listeners at all, but... Helps me. Yes, it does. Absolutely, it does. I know you've got some other things you have jotted down that you wanted to make sure we cover in this episode. Take a little look. Okay. So yeah, like overcoming ego. This was a big eye-opener, was that when we're resentful of ourselves or other people, that it's really the ego. So it's being done. And not that there's anything wrong with this. I'm not judging it. But resentment keeps us stuck in a little self, which a lot of people call the ego. But it keeps us trapped in this little self and our focus is on it, our energy is on it, and we are really concerned only with ourselves. Because when we're spending our time and energy in thinking about how we've been wronged, or what we've done wrong in the past, when our time and energy is focused on that, we can't accomplish our most important life goals. 
we can be of service. There's so many people that need help. There's so much good that we can accomplish. But when we're trapped in this little ego, we're only really concerned about ourselves, what's happened to us and protecting ourselves. And we can't expand and be the kind of help for the world that the world needs, really. And another part is logotherapy, something that can help people overcome grief, but also deal with resentments is logotherapy. It was developed by this guy, Dr. Viktor Frankl. He's a Holocaust survivor, went through the most outrageous atrocities that anybody can ever imagine. And he got through it. And after that, he developed this thing called logotherapy, which is basically meaning therapy. So if you have a strong enough meaning in your life, you can get through almost anything. This guy was tortured. This guy was starved and forced to watch other people go through the worst kind of things you can imagine. He survived and he survived because he had a crystal clear vision of his wife that he wanted to make it through this experience so that he'd be able to see her again. So what happened in Alcoholics Anonymous is I acquired a meaning that was powerful. And the meaning was being of service to other people and helping other people. And once I started doing that, I could feel the joy of it. But if you can find a meaning in your life, a powerful meaning, you can get through just about anything. And another thing, if someone has passed in your life and maybe you have resentments toward them or you resent yourself for maybe contributing to whatever happened or you resent yourself for things that you did to them or didn't do, just honor their name by doing things real world that help other people in some way. I'm going to give this guy on the side of the road $10. And I'm doing it in the name of the person that passed away. And then keep doing it. It's like that person's essence is still here and through you is doing good in the world. That's great. That really is. That's all I got. It's all you got. Well, then let's talk about how people could get in touch with you. What kind of work you do with other people? Is it one-on-one? I know you're developing... Mm-hmm. the forgiveness course, what can people get right now if they contact you and how can they contact yeah. you? Uh, I'd have a few spots for coaching sessions. So I do offer um, coaching packages and I'm offering free sessions, free hour one-on-one coaching sessions to anybody who's interested. We can get together uh, over Zoom or Facebook Messenger and have a conversation on what's going on in your life, no strings attached. If we decide to work together, you can purchase a coaching package. But other than that, I'm taking people on a wait list for the quantum forgiveness course that I'm developing. The best way to contact me is coachbrandondensmore at gmail is one good way. You can shoot me an email or you can find me on Facebook and send me a private message. Great. Thank you for that. And tell us about your YouTube channel, what you got going on there. I have some YouTube videos, but I don't really have a YouTube channel, but I've been going on a lot of different podcasts and you can find uh, most of those interviews on my professional Facebook page. Okay. And that 
is easily going to facebook.com forward slash coach Brandon. Yes. B-R-A-N-D-E-N. B-R-A-N-D-E-N. Brandon, my new friend, thank you so much for just giving yourself so generously today, making a difference, telling your story. It is so powerful to hear it as it is. I said it this before, but when you can really share who you are and what you've overcome, and I'm sure life isn't all rainbows and butterflies for you. And somebody reminded me that rainbows come after a storm and mm-hmm. butterflies come after a huge transformation, mm-hmm. but that you continue to use the 12 steps, everything mm-hmm. you've got in your arsenal to make a difference with yourself and make a difference with others. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Thank you, Sandra, for having me. Yeah, life isn't all sunshine and roses all the time. That's just life, right? It is life just is life. Stress is going to happen. Like things are going to happen that are going to make you feel like you're going to crash. But resentment doesn't help any. <laughs> and just learning to fly in the turbulence. It's life is life. Things happen. Just hang in there, guys. Beautiful words. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Learning to fly in the turbulence. That's a picture we can all understand. Well, I'd like to thank Brandon for being our guest today. I'd like to thank you, our listener or our viewer, for taking the time to be with us. You know me. As much as we love hearing stories, all of these stories are about helping you with your life now. We are so powerful. We're given this one life. There are obstacles, and I'm sure Brandon can agree, it's out of the tough stuff that we learn who we are and we can make the most difference with ourselves and then with others. So Brandon Densmore, Gathered Minds Media, LLC. You can go to facebook.com forward slash Coach Brandon. In closing, my friends, remember, home base is wedontdie.com. You can find all past episodes, attend that free Sunday gathering, weekly inspirational service. It's fabulous. Your loved ones might come through in the medium demonstration and so much more. And be sure to get a free copy of my book. Just enter your name and your email address at the bottom of that page, wedontdie.com. In closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I'm always so delighted to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is so important. I really want to thank you for listening or for watching, and we'll see you again soon.